0: Turn with me to Jonah chapter 4. This morning we'll, we'll close out this, this short prophetic book. Before we read, though, I'd, you might not know this, but in, in 1989, a certain movie was released that really changed the course of the world. That movie was The Little Mermaid. Not what you'd expect, right? But The Little Mermaid really, uh, in, in case you didn't know this, lifted the Disney company up from uh, many, many years of, of not very good movies. Uh, they lost lost a bit of their reputation, and The Little Mermaid really brought them back to life, uh, so to speak. Uh, I, I realize after the fact, The Little Mermaid, Fish, Ocean, Jonah, it works well. Um, We know the story of the Little Mermaid, right? A a mermaid falls in love with a human being on land. She decides to trade her voice uh, for legs uh, through an evil sea witch uh, and tries to win over this this prince or else she'd forfeit her life. In the Disney version of this movie, she eventually does win over the prince. Uh, The evil sea witch is, is exposed and killed uh, and she gets to live happily ever after on land with uh, her, her voice, her legs, her prints, uh, all these great things. Uh, did you know that's not actually the original ending of The Little Mermaid? The Little Mermaid is actually a fairy tale much older than 1989. M- much of the, the premise remains the same. She uh, She trades her voice for legs in order to um, to try to be with a prince on land, but at the end of the movie, the prince marries another woman who had won him over uh, ariel is 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 trapped uh, now she 's actually given the option of sacrificing the prince to keep her own life, and she refuses uh, and then, as all mermaids do apparently she she does Lose her life because of this deal, and and dissolves into sea foam, and is no more. <clears throat> the original ending of that fairy tale was was dropped. Um, you you can tell why it was it was altered for, uh, for, you know, the sake of having an ending that's more palatable, uh, more more disneyfied. Uh, but when you change the ending, it teaches a very different lesson, doesn't it? Uh, and I wonder if that's the case with Jonah for us as well. In many ways, Jonah chapter 4 is the climax. Uh, it's really the most, probably one of the most, the most important chapter in Jonah. But we forget about it, don't we? We, we remember the ship, we remember the storm, the fish, uh, even Jonah going to Nineveh and Nineveh repenting. But oftentimes we think about Jonah and the story just ends there. And it doesn't. Jonah 4 really teaches us the the true lesson uh, of this very short book. And if we leave it off, if we leave chapter 4 off, the the lesson ends up being um, different. Uh, So we're going to read Jonah chapter 4. Uh, Before I do that, I'm going to pray for us. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we um, we thank you for your grace and your mercy to us, to save us and to call us out of darkness, and we thank you for your grace and mercy in helping us to understand your word. And so we pray that you would do that now, we pray that through your spirit you would uh, work through the reading and the preaching of your word, and that it would be edifying to us and and glorifying to you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Jonah chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plants? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plants for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Who is it that deserves grace? That's a, a very simple question. Uh, and I am pretty confident that I could go up to each one of you uh, sitting here today, and you'd be able to give me a, a sound biblical answer. Uh, and yet, if, if we can learn anything from, from the prophet, the man, Jonah, it's that even godly seminary-trained prophets can have very deep prejudices in their hearts, And if an inspired prophet in scripture can have those deep sinful prejudices, uh, I am under no illusion that I'm any better. I think it would be easy for each one of us to to answer that question rightly. Who deserves grace? And yet, uh, I believe, I suspect that each one of us um, may have some of the, the Jonah type prejudices as well. I, I think maybe each one of us could, could bring to mind somebody uh, whom it would displease us to know had become a Christian. Uh, it might be somebody very close to you. Uh, it might be uh, somebody who's just famously evil out in the world. Uh, some sort of enemy that uh, I just, I don't really care to pray for them, if I can help it. Or somebody whom we would, uh, you know, really only sort of begrudgingly share the gospel with. You know, I, I know I should, and so I'm going to, but I'm not, I'm not really all that happy about it. Uh, J- Jonah 4 really reinforces for us and explains to us what Jonah has already confessed in chapter 2, that salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord and no one else. And so we're going to look at what what that phrase means, salvation belongs to the Lord, under three headers. Uh, The first is God's plan, the second is God's supremacy, and the third is God's heart. So what does it mean that salvation belongs to the Lord, right? That's that's the big point of this book. Uh, In verses one through three, uh, we see that salvation belongs to the Lord in terms of God's plan. Verses 1-3, through let me read quickly again. It displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. The camera has has panned back to Jonah to, to get his reaction, right, after what's happened to Nineveh. Right? We, we, we left Jonah for a second there in chapter 3, and we come back and we find out he's angry. Jonah's angry at what's happened, which is kind of shocking, right, because wasn't, you know, his whole, you know, mission trip through Nineveh, uh, I called it the preacher's dream. Uh, this is exactly what she would want. You spend... Uh one day preaching in the streets, and the whole city falls down on their faces, and they repent. And Jonah's angry. And more than that, really, uh, verse one, you know, I've I've uh got a, a footnote in my Bible that really kind of helps clarify what verse one says. Not not simply that it displeased Jonah exceedingly, but that it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. And so this has been one of the, 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 the play on words throughout Jonah, this word evil, right? Nineveh had done evil before God. And so what God had planned was to bring about his own disaster, his own evil on Nineveh in his judgments. But Nineveh repents, God shows them grace and mercy, and then what happens? Jonah thinks that grace and mercy is evil, What 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 happens to Jonah? I mean, don't you expect him to be happy and to rejoice? You expect something more like along the lines of of chapter two, right? This this great praise and this psalm of thanksgiving. What what happens to Jonah? Uh, he really shows his true colors in in verse two, in his prayer, when he finally explains. Um, And if you've just been reading sequentially through Jonah, you haven't really known this yet, but this is why Jonah didn't go to Nineveh, because he knew that God was gracious and merciful. He knew that he loves to relent from disaster and to forgive, and he did not want that to happen for Nineveh. And when we sing, crown him with many crowns, we will join the everlasting song before the throne. Jonah did not want Nineveh to do that. He didn't want Nineveh to be there. But really what we end up seeing is is Jonah's problem is not exactly purely simply with Nineveh, his problem is with God. He's not okay with with God's grace and his mercy and really ultimately his plan. Cuz remember Jonah, Jonah loved when God's grace and mercy had had saved him from the ocean and saved him from death. And yet, when he shows that same um, compassion to other people, he's really pleading for fire and brimstone. The, The root of Jonah's anger is really a fundamental misunderstanding about who God is and what his plan is. Jonah wanted God to love us and to hate them. To love Israel and to hate the Gentiles, hate the enemies. But all along, if Jonah had really been a, a good Israelite, he would have known something like Genesis 12. When God had called Abraham to follow him, he had promised to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God had intended Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the nation of Israel to bless all of the nations of the earth. And so then again, in in Romans 9, which we just read, uh, God is saying he he would make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, even us whom he has called not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As Hosea says, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. God has intended since the beginning of his church and the beginning of his nation, the beginning of his people, that they would go out and bring people in. Part of the Jonah problem uh, is that I had a... a my missions professor in seminary would say this all the time. Part, um, part of the Jonah problem is when the church goes from being the communion of the saints to the club of the saints. When our vision is, is only ever directed inward, when we put, up, we put up the wall and we put up the fence around our church and we say, sinners can't come in. Outsiders are not welcome. Or at the very least, you have to go through our, our rituals and traditions and, and learn the secret handshake and the, the secret passphrase before you can come in. Uh, when we come to church and we treat it as as consumers, right, we're, we're here for the perks, uh, we're here, here to build the connections, um, we're here because this is where we're, we're comfortable and we like being here. the the mission and the purpose of the church, the the very last thing that Jesus said to his church on earth was to go out and to make disciples of all nations. Our goal and our purpose as the church is not to just come here and sit here and enjoy the preaching uh, and enjoy the singing as good as those things are, and, and we should do them, but if we're not also turning around and going out to the nations, we're not the church anymore because we're not fulfilling God's purpose. One of the um, analogies that has been thrown around a lot for the church is that the church is God's outpost on earth for his mission to bring the gospel to the world. We're a place to gather, to be equipped, but ultimately we're sent out. We're sent out for a mission. And if we're not willing to to go out, if we're not willing to to reach other people and to bring them in, then we really have to, to closely examine our faith and closely examine our hearts. Because the whole reason we're, we're Christians, the whole reason we have this religion and believe is because we're aiming for God's glory, right? We're not here just to aim for our, not, not even our own individual salvation, not even, you know, making our lives better in this life, but we're aiming all of those things go further to aim at God's glory, and if we're going to glorify God on this Earth, we have to go out. Salvation belongs to the Lord. means that uh, we fulfill God's plan for bringing salvation to other people. Uh, secondly, uh, it means that, that God is supreme. Salvation belongs to the Lord in terms of God's supremacy. And so uh, as we start looking at, at at verse 4 and following, really all the way down to verse 9, uh, most of the rest of this chapter is an object lesson for us and for Jonah. Jonah um, still doesn't seem to grasp that God is, is going to forgive uh, this city, and so he goes out of the city, Um, builds himself a tent and and looks to see what's going to happen at the end of 40 days. Um, And then the rest of this interaction, we see God appointing. That's what my translation of the ESV says. The Lord God had appointed a plant to grow up, uh, to be a shade over Jonah. He appointed a worm to attack that plant so that it withered and died the next day. And he appointed a scorching east wind and a sun to beat down on Jonah, and, and Jonah gets angry again. So God gets to, to ask the question all over again after, after Jonah's anger, do you do well to be angry? In essence, do you really have the right to be angry, Jonah? Well, what is your right to be angry in this situation? God is trying um, as, as, well, as, as gentle, I guess, as a scorching east wind and a, a sun can be, um, he is trying to get Jonah to look at his heart. He's trying to get Jonah to examine his heart. And so Jonah um, doesn't get the message right away. And so his his great answer, do you do well to be angry? Finally, he doesn't answer the first time, um, but he finally answers the second time. And he says, yes, I've got the right to be angry. I've got the right to be angry enough even to die. And what that answer really exposes in Jonah's heart is that he He thinks he has the right to determine who will be saved and who doesn't. He thinks he has the right to judge. Uh, he's, He's really made himself the arbiter of life and death to determine what is good and what is not good. And he's supplanted God, even in his own heart. And, and so God, through this, this kind of harsh object lesson, is, is really trying to hammer home that, that Jonah's not the one who determines those things. Jonah doesn't get to be the judge. God is the one who judges. God determines what is good and what's wrong. God determines who gets life. Jonah had not been humbled by God's grace. In salvation he had experienced god's mercy himself he had experienced god's grace and what did he do he let that puff himself up he thought he was somebody important and and somebody special but god's grace is meant to humble the 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 Jonah problem isn't just that that Jonah doesn't understand God's plan but it's it's that he really still doesn't even understand God's grace and God's salvation. Jonah had deemed himself worthy and Nineveh unworthy. <clears throat> uh Jesus deals with the the same problem in the New Testament over and over again. Um, particularly, he he deals with it with with the Pharisees in a in a slightly different way. Um, remember the the parable of the prodigal son, right? Where the the younger brother had asked to uh, to get his inheritance early, and he went off and he squandered it all, and he he lived it up, and and he ended up having to come home with his his tail between his legs, and to to beg his father to take him back. Meanwhile, the elder brother sees his, his younger brother come home, and he says, well, where's my party? Father, I've been here the whole time. Have, haven't I served you faithfully? And his father says, you don't get it, my son. Your younger brother was dead and is now alive. Rejoice and be glad in that. Uh, Jonah, uh, curiously, almost kind of looks like both the brothers in his book, right? He, he runs away from God and then is sort of brought to his knees and humbled and then comes back and obeys God again. But at the end of the day, then, he also sort of acts like the elder brother who still doesn't quite get it. Uh, Jesus says elsewhere, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick, Those who are righteous have no need for a Savior. The sinners do. Jonah had forgotten his own sickness. He had forgotten his own sin. Uh, He had forgotten that God had to be the one to reach down and to lift him up. And you can see that in the way he interacts and treats other sinners. So, who, who is it that we find ourselves thinking might be undeserving? Who is it that we consider unforgivable? If there are people like that in our lives. Or we can ask it like this too how, how exactly do you interact with your enemies? Uh, do we do we pray against them? Uh, do we rejoice in their misfortunes? Uh, or maybe we we like to we like to say the 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 Pharisaical prayer, right? Where 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 the Pharisee had prayed, "Thank you, Lord, that that I'm not like this sinner over here who has done so many evil things." Uh, may, maybe even a, a slightly softened version of the the Pharisee's prayer: "Lord, save so and so." because they're just so wicked. They're not going to be saved unless you do it. Or do we interact with and and pray for our enemies like the Good Samaritan does? Who sees his enemy lying on the ground, bloodied up, and he goes to him, bandages him up, gives him money, uh, and sends him to a place to recover. Are we willing to go to our enemies and love them and reach out to them and show mercy to them? Uh, Another well-known analogy goes that the church is a hospital for sick people. Not just an outpost, but it's a hospital for sick people. When we gather together on Sunday mornings, we're not a room full of, of okay people, we're not a room full of good people. We're not a room full of healthy people. We're a room full of, of, of recovering addicts. We're a room full of, of pardoned insurrectionists. Uh, we are brands plucked from the fire. That's who we are. The church is, a, is a as, as one missionary, C.T. Studd, said, the church is a rescue shop run within a yard of hell. We are sinners who reach out to other sinners. We're dying men and women reaching out to other dying men and women. That's our mission as the church. God's grace must keep us humble. And we, we, we're always meant to remember that we are dying. We are the sick. We're the hospitalized. We're not the well. And we're doing the same for other people. Salvation belongs to the Lord, uh, firstly in God's plan, secondly in, in God's supremacy, and third, we see it in God's heart. Really, verses 10 and 11 are the, the verses that this, this whole book have been, have been moving towards. Um, Jonah all along has been asking the question, "Why? Why go to Nineveh? Why do I have to do this? Uh, why do I have to preach?" And God finally says, "It's because I pity them. It's because I pity this great city. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city? I, I have to confess, when I think of the word pity, I usually have some sort of negative connotation in mind, um, like looking down on somebody, um, or, or maybe a little bit of condescension uh, with the word pity. Uh, maybe that's not you, maybe that's just my own heart, and I've got that wrong, um, which is very possible. Um, but when we, when we see pity, In scripture what that means is 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 a concern for another person or to be to be to have the trouble for somebody else really just to show them compassion uh, and to spare another person and why shouldn't God pity Nineveh a nation of great sinners This is a city filled with 120,000 of, of God's creations. He has, he has cared for them and he has nurtured them and sustained them. He's given them, uh, he's given them sun and rain, he's given them crops, he's given them, uh, he's given them uh, life, he's given them good things, uh, he's cared for them. These are thousands and tens of thousands of, of human souls who are created in the image of God. These are people who have, who have wandered aimlessly without knowing at all how to turn to God and to look for his mercy. And, and why shouldn't God care about these people? Why shouldn't God love these people? They are his and they belong to him shouldn't, what God is saying here, shouldn't God care more about a a great city filled with human souls than Jonah cares about a plant? And and even the cattle too. Why does God bring up cattle? I I don't know. Um, But aren't even the cattle in the city more valuable than a plant? If, if, well, I'll say this, Jonah looks at Nineveh and he looks at the nation of Assyria, horrific, horrific enemies of God and enemies of God's people. And he says, no, God, you should not pity them. They've done horrible things. And if, if any of us were to say, no, God, you do not deserve to pity that people, then we have not understood grace because it's God's love and compassion that seeks us out and saves us. It's God's love and compassion and pity for us that saves anybody. His compassion pursues us and has chased us down from a life running away from him. His compassion has sent people, it's sent circumstances, it's sent pastors, friends, neighbors, into our lives so that we would hear the gospel, right? Even if you've grown up in the church your whole life, you might think, I, I haven't really felt God's love chase me down uh, like, a, like a real rebel, but, but God has still in his compassion put the church and your family members and friends and sermons, all of them to get to your heart and to show you salvation, his pity is what saves. right? Not, not, a, not a single soul would have been sympathetic to Nineveh, would they? Except for God. And that's what makes God worthy of worship, and that's what makes God so glorious, is that he is willing to, to go to the enemies and to love them. Not just to love those who... Um, who we think deserve compassion, but he goes to those who by no means deserve compassion and pity. While we were still sinners, and while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. And that's purely because of his compassion. So is this, is this the kind of lens that we use to look out at the world? God's pity. Because that's that's the lens that God has as he looks out on this fallen world, as he looks out on nations that rebel against him, and people that keep sinning. The lens that he has is pity. and I, Naturally, I have to say, I'm not good at that. Uh, I, I, I'm willing to bet most of us are, are not great at, at looking at the world through that lens. We, we don't look at our neighbors that way. It's, it's hard for us to look at some family members that way. It's hard to look at certain nations that way. And yet, if we are not looking at them with love, and we're not looking at them the, the way God wants us to, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is patient with each one of us. He does not wish that any should perish. He wishes that all would come to repentance. It's not it's not just God's great power that's on display in the book of Jonah, it's God's heart. God's heart for the nations and God's heart for the sinners. That's why he does anything that he does. His, his love spreads out the, the wedding feast of the Lamb for us in heaven. His love sends out the invitations to us. His love changes our hearts, and causes us to to come to him. His love draws us in, and he does all of it so that he would be worshipped and magnified in this world more than anything else. Why shouldn't we pity other sinners like us? Why wouldn't we show them compassion? Right. If, if we long to see God's church is full, if we long to see God's gospel and his word victorious on this earth, then this is our mission, to show compassion, and to show, show pity to other sinners so that even as we're gathered with people who were once enemies, we would get to sing together before God's throne for the rest of eternity. That's God's mission, and that's the mission we are called to, as His followers. Amen. Let's pray together. Our heavenly Father, we um, we thank you and we praise you one more time for your grace and your mercy and your gospel. We thank you that you have pursued us and you have loved us to the point of dying on the cross for us. We. Uh, we thank you that even when we are inconsistent, even when we hate instead of love, that you still forgive. We thank you that you are a great God who deserves to be worshipped, and we pray that you would you would equip each one of us to fulfill your mission. Make us uh, faithful children, faithful followers, uh, faithful believers and Christians. And we pray that your churches would be would be filled with sons and daughters who have come to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that through our missionaries, uh, we pray that even uh, through the conversations that we have with people around us, oh God, that this church would be filled up that many who have once lived in darkness would, would see the great light. We pray that you would help us to love those around us, help us to love our neighbors, and we pray that all of it would bring glory and honor to you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.